Okay. Yeah, let's, let's pray for Jeannie, shall we? Father, we just want to thank you for Jeannie. We thank you for the love that this woman has showed to so many people, particularly at um, the luncheon club. And we ask now that by your mighty power that you will touch her. Lord, may she feel that healing flow into her body. And may she know your peace. May she know your strength. And may she be raised up to a testimony of the goodness of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, we are, of course, looking through Ephesians. And uh, Rose asked us if we, could, if we would look in Ephesians and explore how Ephesians could help us in our intimacy with God. Uh, a, long t- a long time ago... Uh, a long time ago in a bygone age, when young couples, the lads and the lasses, got together, they used to go out together, and it used to be said they were walking out. Anybody remember that? Oh, don't believe you're that young. Yes, they were walking out together. And I want to say that intimacy with God is walking out together with God. It's being in fellowship with him. It's a kind of uh, a love walk that's coming on the screen now. A love walk with God. You know, when, when we were courting, we used to do love walks. And uh, we used to walk along. We didn't always speak a lot to one another. But we enjoyed each other's company. And intimacy with God is enjoying God's company. It's, it's not putting up with it. It's not having to endure it. It's loving each other's company. And we get to know one another as we do a love walk. And I can remember in our latter years that I did a love walk pushing the wheelchair in Himley Park or it may be trying to keep up to the scooter in Sutton Park, but we had a love walk together. We didn't say very much. She couldn't, but she was there. And folks, there is nothing like the presence of God. There is nothing like knowing that God is with us, that we're walking uh, along with the, Lord Je- with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives us some insight into that. Now I put in there, Ephesians 2, life transformation. Because until our life is transformed, we cannot have this love walk with God that, as Mary said last week, was planned before the foundation of the world. I think that's pretty cool, don't you? To think that God, before our parents had even thought of us, before the first blade of grass, he had planned that we have a love walk with him, that we can know him in a real way, that we can get excited about Jesus, that we can be filled with the joy of the Lord day by day. And I want to say the joy of the Lord is a terrific advert for Christianity. There is no better advert probably than the love, the joy and the peace of the Lord that flows out of our lives to the folks that we meet day by day. And of course for our love walk, then it has to be that Jesus is central. And there is that lovely scripture in John's Gospel where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And that is the beginning of our love walk when we come to Jesus. Now, when Paul is talking to the Ephesians, and they were a mixed church, there was probably 
uh, about 70 or 80% Gentile and 20% Jew. Now, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody who isn't a Jew. And the Jews, they call themselves the chosen people because God had chosen them to bring his message to the Gentiles. They messed it up pretty well, but these chosen people also them, call themselves the circumcision people. And the Gentiles, well, uh, the Gentiles, as far as the Jews were concerned, they were nobodies. Uh, they were on the earth, but it would be better if they weren't on the earth. And the Gentiles, by the Jews, were regarded as dogs. Do you remember when Jesus was met by the Syrophoenician woman and she said, I want you to heal my daughter. And Jesus, it seems, was absolutely callous with her on the surface. He said to her, look, I'm here to feed the children, not the dogs. And this woman, absolutely full of faith, said to him, yes, that's right, but the dogs lick up the crumbs that the children drop. And that should be like us, folks. We want everything that God has got for us. And the Gentiles were called the dogs. But the Greeks, of course, they separated, they separated the Gentiles. And uh, if you spoke Greek, you were a Greek. And if you didn't speak Greek, you were a barbarian. Now, I guess there are not many Jews here this morning, so the place is probably full of barbarians. So what Paul is saying is very applicable to us. And when he takes chapter 2, he does it like a testimony. And you remember when we give our testimony, we say, you remember Phil's testimony, what we were like, what happened, and what we are now. And that's how Ephesians breaks out. And he's telling us that before we can have this great love walk, something has to happen. And in the case of the Ephesians, he was telling them it had already happened. Now, when you read Ephesians 2, when Paul says you, he means the Gentiles. And when he says us, he means the Jews most of the time. And other times, he just means himself. Other times, he means all of us, Jew and Gentiles. And these two different cultures who outside hated each other were in the church. What had happened? What transformation had taken place to make these two lots of folks who disliked each other get along with each other in the church? So, what we were. Okay, thanks, Joe. Here's the first thing that Paul says, if you have Ephesians chapter 2. He says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 begins in the cemetery, but it actually ends up in the kingdom of heaven and seated with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that is a pretty good transformation. And so he says, they are dead in trespasses and sins. He's saying to them that you have no communion with God, that, that your sins have, have uh, sort of separated you from God. There is no communion. You may be physically alive, he says, but you are spiritually dead. And this morning, there may be someone in here, and you're very much alive physically, but if you don't know Jesus, I don't want to be offensive, you're spiritually dead. But the good news is you can come alive, because the blood that we've sung about, it still works today. It still cleanses. It still frees us from the bondage of sin. 
And Paul says, you're dead, you're dead in transgressions and sins. Really, what he's saying there, the word transgression, it means to wander off the pathway. We used to live uh, by a, um, an old mansion, and uh, you could walk through the grounds, but at different points there were notices that says, trespasses will be prosecuted. In other words, you've got to keep to the path. And God has set out a path that he wants us to walk. But the trouble is, we've moved off the path. We've kind of trespassed. And the other thing it says, it talks about our sins. That's a sporting term that means shooting a bow and arrow, as it were, at a target. And we've missed the target. Now, it doesn't matter whether you miss the target by an inch or whether you miss it by a metre. If you have missed the target, you've missed the target. And as far as God is concerned, he has given us a target. He has given us a standard. And that standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nobody here brave enough to say, I've never missed the target. I've always come up to the standard of Jesus. No, we haven't. We can't because we have a sinful nature. And Paul is reminding them, because of that sinful nature, you were cut off from God. You had no communion with God. You had no chance of a love walk with God. And then he tells them as well, uh, he says that you lived by the world's values and standards. In other words, God's standards didn't matter. And that verse really means we rebelled against God's standards and we lived by our own values and our own standards. You know, folks, the Bible tells us that we need to be transformed, not conformed to the standards of the world, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the world's standards and God's standards are not compatible. And the idea that God has had was that the, world's, that the God's standards influence the world. In other words, the church influenced the world. But in actual fact, the other things happen. It's the world that influences the church. We've got it back to front very often. We've got our values wrong. Why? Well, because folk are dead in trespasses and sins. And then he says, we're controlled by our own human nature. And that word controlled really means compelled. You know, what did Paul say? The good that he wanted to do, he couldn't do it. And the bad things that he didn't want to do, he managed to do without any problem at all. Why is that? Because the sinful nature is in control. And we can do nothing to decontrol it. And Paul says that's why you were completely cut off from God. He then goes on to say in verse 3 that we were objects of God's wrath. Now you say, how can a God of love say that we are objects of God's wrath? How many parents have we got here today? Parents? Okay. Have you ever sort of advised your kids that something they're doing could be harmful to them? Yeah? And uh, it's all right to them, they think, but that's not the best way to do it. And you tell them, and they say, yes, yes, I won't do that again, or I will do it again, whatever it is. And they do it. Anybody been like that? I had a lot of practice doing that when I was a kid, you know. So I know what I'm talking about. And you see, what happens when our kids do that? 
eventually we get a bit angry, don't we? Because we can see what's going to happen if they don't change. And God's wrath is an anger out of love because he knows what we could be. He knows how we could live, and yet we decide we're going in our own way. And until we come to Christ, we're under God's wrath. The Bible says, he that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son is under God's wrath. So Paul is saying, look, there was a time when you were objects of God's anger without any shadow of doubt. He says in verse 12 that we were separated from Christ. There was no communion at all. We had no God access whatsoever. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, we were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You say, well, what's that matter? All the promises of God were really bound up for the Israeli people. And we not, and he said to them, he was saying, you're not Israelis, telling the Gentiles, you're not Israelis at all, so therefore you're foreigners and you're aliens to God's promises. He's saying that there was a time when God's promises did not apply to you folks. They just didn't apply at all because you weren't in the kingdom. He goes on to say that we were without hope. We had no hope whatsoever and then he says in verse 12, we were without God. That is a pretty dire strait, don't you think? We couldn't be more far away from God than that description that Paul gives us here of what we were. And today, what we were before we came to Christ. We were cut off from God. We had no hope. We couldn't help ourselves. There was absolutely nothing we could do that would change that situation. All the religion in the world wouldn't do it because we couldn't and we can't change our sinful nature. But I'm glad that something happened. Hallelujah. Coming up on the screen now. In a minute. Okay. Don't worry, Joe. What happened? It says... Yeah, right, uh, uh, a scripture there from Romans, and we can see that it was at the very time that we were powerless to help ourselves that Christ died for the ungodly. God didn't wait until we were better, until we'd gone through an improvement class, until we tried to better ourselves. While we're dead in the trespasses and sins, while we're in the cemetery, he did something about us. And yet... The proof of God's amazing love for us is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think that deserves a hallelujah, don't you? The fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we were opposite to what God wanted. We were going in the different direction to what God wanted. But when we were there, he said, hey, come on, I'm going to step in and I'm going to help. You know, he tells us in verse 4 that the reason why God did this was because he loved us intensely. You know, uh, I may have told you before, I used to get quite annoyed when I was at work. Um, you know, uh, you'd have kids in the shop, there'd be three or four kids, and they're waiting for the prescriptions and shouting and doing one thing and another. And the mother used to say, if you do that again, I shan't love you. And I thought, what a crazy thing to tell a kid. 
letting the kid think that love depends on their behavior. I'm glad God's love doesn't depend on our behavior. Hallelujah. God's love depends on God's behavior. And God, in his mercy, in his great infinite love, when we were miles away, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, when we got no hope whatsoever, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. In verse 8, he tells us about the fact that grace and faith were sent while we were still deaf. I love that. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Do you know, it's, uh, we like to get favor of people, don't we? Well, we can't do anything to earn God's favor. He just gives it graciously, abundantly, without measure. You can't measure the love of God and we can't measure the grace of God. It's this favor that he offers to all mankind. Not all mankind accepted, of course, but to those of us who do, well, that is a great thing. You know, the scripture says, by grace are you saved through faith, and that of yourselves, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Have you ever met anybody who's trying to work their way to heaven? I've met a few, and I've said, well, keep working, you'll kill yourself working, but you'll never get there. Oh, I'm so glad. It's a free gift of grace that we get to heaven. It's the gift of salvation. Hallelujah. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a pretty old song we sung about washed in the blood of the Lamb, but it's still effective today. And that is the only cure for our sinful nature. That is the only thing that washes our sins away, that gets the pollution out of our system, is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by grace, because of God's mercy, and by faith, we accept what grace has provided. You know, the great thing about it is we don't even have to have our own faith. God gives us the faith. It says the faith, and that is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. I can remember one day uh, sweeping the front of, of our pharmacy, and a woman came up to me, and she said, uh, why are you doing that? Why don't you get one of the staff to do it? And I said, no, I quite like doing it, really. I said, uh, and I don't ever ask the staff to do anything that I wouldn't be prepared to do myself. And she said, why do we adopt an attitude like that? And I said, I'll tell you a story, lady. Somebody who I really had no regard for, when I was in a mess, died on a cross, acted like a servant, became a sacrifice to change my life. And if he was willing to be a servant and be obedient to the will of God, I don't think this is doing many harm, me any harm, sweeping this. And she said to me, I would love to believe that. She said, I would love to believe that Jesus died for me, but I can't. So I said, why can't you? She said, I haven't got the faith. I said, you can keep trying, but you'll never have it. She said, what do you mean? I said, it's God's gift. Oh, if you felt you couldn't, if you're here this morning and you feel you can't believe and accept it, say, Lord, give me the gift of faith to accept the glorious grace that you have bestowed upon me. Everything that we enjoy in, in the Christian life, folks, is because God's done it. It's because of the grace and faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to say in verse 5, and this is the bird's eye view, you understand. 
He has made us alive in Christ. We began the chapter, we were dead in sins, no hope whatsoever, and now, because Christ has shed his blood on the cross, because we have been cleansed, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is how much forgiveness of sins? No forgiveness of sins. But his blood is effective for all the sins of all mankind through all generations. That is powerful stuff. And in that we have been made alive. We have been changed. We have a new nature. And he goes on to say that we're accepted through the blood of Christ. You know, I can remember a chap saying to me one day, I think I was uh, getting a bit excited about the gospel. Uh, I was preaching uh, one Sunday night in Eve Lane, and he came up to me and he said, um, I don't like this blood stuff. So I said, what blood stuff? He said, all this business about uh, the blood of Christ, you know. He said, um, I-, I like the fact that God loves me, and I like the fact that Jesus came to die on the cross, but I don't think we need that blood stuff. And I said, well, you don't need the blood stuff if you don't want to be cleansed. But the blood stuff is necessary for us to be cleansed. You know, you, you, you ladies, uh, I bet you love washing, don't you? Great satisfaction in putting the dirty stuff into the washing machine and then pressing the button. And then 30 minutes later, fetching out this beautiful washing and that. It's all cleansed. And when we come to Jesus and he washes us in our blood, in his blood, we're cleaner than coming out the washing machine. He has done a good job with our lives. And without the blood, there is no salvation. So finally, what we are now. What we were, we were in a mess. We were in a pickle. We couldn't do anything about it. God has done everything about it. And we are changed quite a bit. It says there that we are recipients of God's love, his mercy and the riches of his grace. In other words, it's saying simply this, everything that God has promised, now we can have because we've come into the family and because we're on our love walk with the Lord. And uh, that is a great thing to be in love, isn't it? And to have a love walk, you know, we can't do a love walk with the Lord if we don't really love him. You see, it's one thing to be grateful for what he's done, but it's another thing to love him. How does our love show? Well, Jesus said to the disciples, the best advert they could give was loving one another. And our love shows in our obedience in doing what the Lord asks us to do. I wonder, is there anyone here this morning and you've lost the joy of your salvation and you feel that somehow God doesn't care anymore, God's not bothered anymore? Let me ask you a question. Is there something that you know you should have done or you're doing something you know you shouldn't do that is blocking the blessings of God coming? You see, we can't earn the blessing of God but we can stand in the way of receiving them by our own stubbornness and by our own disobedience. Yes, grace means that we are freed uh, from all our sin and that, but we can still be disobedient. And if we're disobedient in heart, 
we can't know the joy of the Lord. We can't enjoy our love walk. We'll feel guilty about that. Time is almost gone. We're reconciled to God, the Bible says, uh, in verse uh, 16. We are reconciled. We are forgiven, totally forgiven. Hey, folks, God has forgiven us how much? Oh, you ain't too sure on that one. Percentage-wise, how much has God forgiven us? 70%. Well, keep walking, keep trusting Bill. He has forgiven us 100%. You can't get better than that, can you? Hey, who do you need to forgive? Received 100% forgiveness. And yet, we are daft enough to hold forgiveness for someone else. Someone rang me this week, yesterday, and um, I'd been preaching at a church on forgiveness, and the Lord had really hit this guy. And uh, he said to me, he was telling me about his wife, and he said, you see, the trouble is they, she won't forgive my son. <clears throat> uh, they'd both been divorced and married. This son was by his first wife. And he said, she won't forgive the son. And I said, why is she doing that? And he said, well, he's hurt me so badly. I said, well, why is she not forgiving him? He says, well, because... You know, he's hurt me so badly. I said, do you realize she's hurting herself and she's hurting you? And when we don't forgive, we hurt ourselves most of all, but we hurt other people as well. And because we've forgiven, you know, Jesus said, when you stand up to pray, make sure you're forgiving everybody. When, when you take the break in the bread, make sure there's no unforgiveness in our heart. You may say, I can't forgive. Well, I know what that means. I know, I know what that feels like. I've been there. What do we do? We say, Lord, you died on the cross to forgive me. Make me willing to forgive this person. Give me the good sense and that divine wisdom that lets me know that I'm harming myself without forgiving them. So for my own benefit, I'm going to forgive them. Even if you do it for your own benefit, forgive them because we've been reconciled to God. He goes on to say, we are now God's workmanship. What does that mean? Well, it says that God planned some things for us to do before the foundation of the world. Once we're in the family, once we're in the kingdom, once we're walking along with him, he can fashion us and allow us to do the things that he intended us to do in the, in, in the first place. He tells us in verse 14 that Christ is our peace. There are no longer any barriers between us and God. Now, this was particularly significant in the Ephesian church because there, there were a few barriers. There was the barrier between the two cultures, the Jews and the Gentiles. But in Christ, that barrier was removed. And the scripture says the two became one. And folks, girls, you'll love this. The scripture also says that in Christ there is no male and female. We are just all one. And it doesn't matter what sex we are. If we're in the kingdom of God, God can use us. I have some dealings with the church where um, uh, a couple of the fellows walk out if one of the girls does anything. 
poor man needs to examine his Christianity, needs to examine himself, quiet, you know. If, if we do that, we ain't got it, folks. We are shown our immaturity. And God wants us to be immature. He wants us to be mature. And we become mature as we do this love work with the Lord Jesus Christ. Very quickly, as time has gone, we have access to the Father. Before, we were cut out. No God. Now, we have access to the Father. We have fellow citizens uh, in the king, with God's people in the kingdom of heaven. So all the promises of God that were for the Jews, they're for us now. We're members of God's household, God's family. You know, I love that. We are a family together. We are quite diverse here this morning, but we're a family because we're one in Christ. You know, sometimes folks get very worried about the church building, don't they? Um, uh, I, I know a particular church, and it looks as though there's never been any activity. It is absolutely spotless. You know what the Bible says? The crib is clean, whether there are no oxen. In other words, if there's nothing doing, it'll be clean enough. But I, I said to some folks, and um, I, do, uh, I do tend to say what I mean, I mean what I say. And I said, you, you got this beautiful church. Where do you live? I said, uh, we live in a home. So I said, well, um, do you live in a house? Yes. What would you rather live in, a house or a home? And there's a difference. A house is a building. A home is where there's love, where there's friendship, where there's fellowship together. And folks, it doesn't matter where we meet in Junction 10 as long as we meet as a home. As though you come to the home, Caris is our home at this moment of time. That's where we meet with one another. That's where we meet with the Lord. That's where we listen to the Lord. That's where we hear the Lord. And hopefully we obey him. He goes on to say that we are living stones in God's house. Well, that is a very whistle-top tour. But I haven't quite finished yet. I'm coming to the end. It says, uh, I put on my, on my notes, walking a love walk with Jesus. Are we walking a love walk with Jesus? The Ephesians church were very good at their love walk with Jesus. They really were. But a generation on, things had gone wrong. Let me read what it says in Revelation. He's taught, the uh, Spirit is talking to about the Ephesian church. He said, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked men. I know you've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. I know you've persevered. I know you've endured. I know you've not grown weary. I tell you, we think that was five stars, wouldn't we? That, that's very good. Yeah, they were into the community. They were doing the good works. No dodgy doctrine around there. The doctrine was absolutely pure. But, says the Lord, but, says the Lord, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The love walk had gone. Junction 10, 
with a second generation here. We need to make sure that our love walk is intact, that we are, love, that we are walking really not for our own benefit alone, but we're walking with the Lord for everybody else. I tell you, it's a wonderful thing to know that God invites us on a love walk with him, where he can talk to us, where he can speak with us, where we can listen, where we can feel, as it were, the very beating of his heart in that close, intimate relationships. At one time, that was ne'er possible, but because of what Jesus has done, and only because of what Jesus has done, it's possible today. Where are we? How are we doing? How are we doing as a church? But how we, how we doing as a church will depend on how we're doing as individuals. You see, how we come into church on a Sunday morning will determine very largely how the meeting will go. What we did on a Saturday night can affect what happens on a Sunday morning. And we are here in this beautiful atmosphere, this lovely presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying to all of us, hey, come on. I know what you were, but I've changed all that. You're a new person. You're alive in me now. I've got so much more for you. If we think we've arrived, we ain't. There's a long way to go. So much in Christ. And the thing is, it's for every one of us. God has no favorites. God hasn't got a single favorite. Not at all. But he's looking for men. He's looking for women, boys and girls, who say, yes, Lord, I want to develop my love walk with you. I want to get closer to you. I want to be the person that you make me to be. I want your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, your self-control, your faithfulness to be evident in my life. God bless you. Thank you.